Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John as we continue our study in the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 16, verse 16. There's Bibles under the pews if you'd like to grab a Bible under the pew if you don't have yours. But John 16, verse 16. And we'll be looking at verses 16 through 22 this morning. John 16, 16. Jesus says, a little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. And then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us, a little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, What is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me? And again a little while and you will see me? Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice and your joy, no one will take from you. We, um, we had our first child about eight and a half years ago, Jonathan. And we did the classes that you're supposed to take. You know, you go to the hospital. They tell you, like, this is what's going to happen. And so you go and you take the classes and... I, to be honest with you, I, I, I messed around most of the time throughout the class, made jokes. Um, we laughed. We got in trouble. Um, I told Tasha, like, you need to call me Coach Kevin throughout the whole time because if I'm going to be your coach, then just refer to me as Coach Kevin. And she, we laughed. We had fun. We did the thing. But then labor time came. And it was 52 hours from the time that the contractions like started really strong until Jonathan was born. It was, it was such that we go to the hospital and they say, you know, she's not dilated enough. You need to like go walk. We, we walked from Newport to San Clemente. We, we walked, we walked and every few steps it was like curled up into a ball and just like, oh, you know, and doing her breathing, and, you know, and then we'd walk more, and then we'd go to the hospital, and they'd say, not ready, you know, go back and walk more, and we'd walk more, and we'd be like, hey, it has to be ready now, we'd go back, no, 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 go walk more, and there, there came a point where I'm like, take my wife, like, please take her, you cannot send us out again, you know, and we're pleading with her, like, the, the lady, like, please, please, just make an exception, you don't, you don't know what we're going through right now, you know, and, and, so finally, they, they kept her. And, you know, we went through the process of 
labor pains, as our text brings up here this morning. There were some mistakes that were made on my part throughout the, the process. Um, you know, I started telling her, like, hey, like, breathe like this. And I'm remembering what they told us. And she looks at me like, don't, don't do that right now. <laughs> like, I will breathe how I want to breathe, you know. And <laughs> if you know my wife, like, she doesn't get real angry or upset. Most of you, maybe with the exception of her mom, have not seen her, like, really angry. But, and she wasn't angry with me, but there was this look of, like, don't do that. Like, do not show me how to breathe right now. And so I didn't. And it's intense. The pain is intense. And in those kind of moments, I think it's good to be funny. And, and, and so I said things like, don't, don't worry, sweetheart. It'll, it'll feel better as soon as it stops hurting. And that, that didn't help. She just... Gave me this look like, really? Really? Right now you're going to do that? And the doctor came in later and said, are you doing okay? And she said, yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay. And so I responded like, good, so you could do this like three or four more times? And again, there was a look that came of like, really? Like right now you're going to say that? You know, and some of you wives right now are really thankful for your husbands. But... This is what I did. This is what I said. I was being funny. I thought, hey, this would be a good time to like cheer her up, you know, with some of my humor. And it wasn't. Um, and so we just continued through the process. And eventually the baby came. Now, I know, like, I, as your pastor, I see a lot that takes place here. I'm there sometimes when, when you know, in the waiting room when you have a baby and hear what other husbands have done, things like, you know, can you quiet down a little bit? It's really embarrassing. There's, you know, like, you're, you're really loud. I didn't do that. I mean, some of you guys have, you know, some of you guys have said things like, bet you're rethinking that whole epidural thing now, aren't you? You know, and I didn't do that. I didn't. I've seen it happen. But we came to a place of, the baby finally came. Jonathan finally came. And all of the pain that Tasha went through, God's word tells us that as soon as she's given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. I don't know that she didn't remember it anymore. I think she still remembered it. But the joy, the joy of having the baby just filled all the pain to where we've, we've had two more since. Jesus is about ready to go through incredible anguish and the disciples as well. We, we, we are in like the last couple hours in the life of Christ. And the final hours in his life. He's ministering to the disciples and preparing them for what is about ready to take place. He knows what's going to happen. He knows exactly what the disciples are going to go through. And so he's preparing them. We, we, we see just incredible love from our Savior to 
the disciples. He's about ready to go to the cross. He's about ready to be nailed to the cross through his hands, through his feet. He's about ready to be in such a place of of taking the sin of the world upon himself. And yet he's ministering to them because of the sorrow that they are about to experience. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me because I go to the Father. A little while, and you're not going to see me. A little while, and I am going to go to the cross. They're confused. What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. And so, Jesus knows exactly what it is that they're thinking. He's God. He's omniscient. He knows all things. And so, he says to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Is this what you're thinking? This is what you're thinking. You're inquiring amongst each other. What does he mean by this? And rather than give just a very clear, like I'm going to go to the cross and this is what's going to happen, he just paints a picture for them and just says, you're going to go through some incredible sorrow coming up but it's going to be followed by joy. You're going to go through an incredible, difficult time, but it's going to be followed by joy. Not only joy, but joy that no one will take from you. I'm just preparing you. You're going to go through this, but it's going to be followed by joy that nobody will be able to take from you. And so... He tells them, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. There's questions that come up as far as what does it mean a little while. There's commentators that are right on this, theologians that write on this, that come from numerous different perspectives. As he's talking about a little while, meaning that he's going to die on the cross, and then he's going to rise again from the dead on the third day, and that is the little while period. Is he talking about a little while where he's going to die on the cross and then Pentecost will come and the Holy Spirit will come to minister to them and, and, and care for them and the, there will be joy that's there. He's, it's in the context of him speaking about the Holy Spirit. There's, there's those that would say is, is, is a little while that he's going to die on the cross and they're going to go through this Christian life and there's going to come a point where in God's perfect timing the Lord is going to return and that is the point in which The joy goes on forever and ever and ever. Um, There's different perspectives of what that a little while means. Not only for us today, but specifically for the disciples. What do you mean by a little while? And what we do find is that he may be specifically referring to, I'm about ready to go to the cross, and then I'm going to rise again on the third day. But nevertheless, we find that there is joy for us as Christians, whether it is from the time that he rose again from the dead or from Pentecost or to the Lord's return. There's joy for us as believers. And so I want to look at this and be able to understand 
where the, the, these, these people are coming from as far as the disciples, what's going on in their hearts. They, they've already had sorrow. They're already discouraged. They've already been through a lot. They've, from this point, we see that they go and, and Matthew 26 tells us that they sing a hymn together. They go out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus says to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. All of you will stumble. For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You're all tonight going to be scattered. Tonight, something's going to happen in which all of you, when the sheep gets struck, or when the shepherd gets struck, you are going to, to scatter. We see just incredible pride from the disciples, Peter specifically, where he says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I'll never be made to stumble. Within the hearts of these disciples, it's, I will, it's not going to be me. I'll, I'm staying with you. Everybody else may leave. I'm not. I'm staying with you. There is this love for Christ in which Peter's thinking, I have journeyed with you. I have watched miracle after miracle after miracle. I've heard your teaching. I've heard your words. I've seen how you've radically changed my life. I've seen how you've made people who were dead come alive. I've seen how you've taken people who are lame and made them walk. You've taken people who are blind. You've made them see. Everybody may scatter, but I'm with you to the very end. Everybody may scatter, but not me. I will not stumble. I'm with you. Jesus says, surely I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. If I have to die, I'm not denying you. In essence, Peter's saying, you're wrong on this one. You've said a lot that's right. You've said a lot that's true. Everything you've said is right. Everything that you've said is true. But I'm not going to deny you. Everybody else will. I'll die with you. And then we find Peter saying, finally, man, I don't know what you're saying, rejecting Jesus, the rooster crows, and it tells us that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That final crowing of the rooster is followed by Jesus turning and just looking specifically right at Peter at that time. Peter remembered the word of the Lord when he said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And so it tells us in verse 62 of Luke 22, so Peter went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. A little while, Jesus tells them, you're not going to see me. A little while, there is going to be sorrow that is there. There's going to be weeping that is there. And we find that with Peter in our example just now. He goes out and he just weeps bitterly. Can you understand where he's coming from? Just that that confidence in his own flesh. I will not do this ever. I'll never do this. I'll never leave you. I'll never flee. I won't be the one to stumble, and then he stumbles and he sees the face of Christ look at him when that rooster crows. Meaning that he's within distance of being able to see all that's taking place. He just goes and just weeps. 
He can't go in and rescue Jesus. He already tried, and Jesus said, no, don't do that. I could have 12 legions of angels come down. And so he just goes and he buries his face someplace and just sobs, weeps bitterly. All the disciples forsook him and fled. We're told that Mary Magdalene in Mark 16, she has gone to the tomb and has been told that, that Christ has risen. And in Mark 16, 10, it says, She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. She went and told them. She goes to tell them it's been three days, and what are they doing? They are mourning and they're weeping. That three-day period has been excruciating for the disciples. That three-day period has been filled with more tears, more heartache, more loss than they ever thought was possible. I know, I know that in this congregation there has been people who have just wept and wept and mourned and grieved the loss of a loved one, other circumstances in your life. It's just weeping that takes place. And I think, how must this have been just magnified in the disciples as they're losing and they're watching their Savior, their Lord, their friend, die on the cross? The one in whom they put all of their hope in. They can't rescue him. They can't help him. He's been tortured brutally. He's been spit upon. He's having his beard plucked out. Tortured, whipped over and over and over again, 39 times with the cat of nine tails, hanging there on the cross. And their in, in, entire world, as far as what they thought was going to happen, is not happening like they imagined. The one in whom they love, the one in whom John put his head on Jesus' chest, the one in whom they followed, the, whom, the one that, that they love more than anybody they ever imagined as far as how they could love, has been crucified. And they are mourning and weeping bitterly. Jesus says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And your joy no one will take from you. Right now, there's sorrow, but I will see you again. Notice how he switches it to, and I will see you again. Right now, you have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. And your joy, no one will take from you. These words to the disciples are powerful. To know that they are going to go through just incredible weeping, incredible sorrow. To be told by their Lord, your heart is going to rejoice again. And it will have a joy that no one will take from you. We see that the angel comes to the women and says to them in Matthew 28, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where they, they, the Lord lay. 
And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and indeed that he's going before you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Behold, I've told you. And it says, so these women, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and they ran to bring the disciples' word. Can you imagine what's taking place within their hearts? They've been told he's risen. Just like he said, and the Holy Spirit inspires it to be written, that they run from that place, and as they run, there's fear that's in them. Obviously, there's an angel that appears, shining brightly, speaking to them. But there's great joy. That sorrow of these women has been turned to joy. He's risen. In John 20 and verse 19, it tells us that the same, that same evening, the same day at, at evening, being the first day of the week, the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and he stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Joy that overflowed from them when they saw the Lord. Specifically mentions they were glad. There was joy that overcame them when they saw the Lord. It tells us that, that when Jesus appeared to, to the women, that they came and they just held him at the feet and they just worshiped him. He says to them, rejoice, rejoice. And they just fall at his feet. They hold onto his feet and they just begin to worship him. There's joy that's there. There's joy that's there within the disciples as they see Jesus. You see it where, where Peter and John go running to the tomb. Joy that's there. You see it where Jesus is out on the shore and the disciples are in the boat and what happens? Peter puts his shirt on when he sees that it's Jesus and he, he can't wait to get to where he's at. He can't wait for them to row that boat. So he just jumps into the water and swims to him because he just can't wait to be with his Lord. There's joy that's there. Joy. And the joy for the disciples and for the other believers does not stop after Jesus ascends into heaven. It doesn't stop. In Luke chapter 24, we're told that, that it came to pass while he blessed them and that he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, the ascension. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So Jesus ascends into heaven. And what do the disciples do? They go back to Jerusalem. And it specifically tells us they went back with great joy. Everything's changed for them. Everything's changed for them. They had gone from a place of weeping bitterly. Our Lord is gone. They've crucified our Lord to joy that is just pouring out of their lives. He's risen. We saw him. We ate with him. He spoke with us. He's come to us over and over again. He just ascended into heaven. And they just come back and there's joy, great joy within their hearts. He's risen. The resurrection means that Christ will never die again. The price has been paid. We've been forgiven. We've been reconciled with Christ. And Christ will never be taken from us again. There will never be separation again. 
We'll be indwelt by the Holy Spirit as believers, and we'll be one with him forever. Jesus had said to them in John 14, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will also. You will live also. We're with him. Joy. You watch that movie, The Passion of Christ. I don't know if, if you all watched it, but I remember went to go to the theater, you watch the movie, and it does a great job of describing a Roman crucifixion. It just does. I mean, the, the, the way they, they filmed the movie, they did a good job of showing this is what a crucifixion would be like. Um, they can't show our sin being placed upon Christ. It's not possible. Um, that's far worse than any torture that anybody could ever experience. But most people, when I left that movie theater, there was nobody walking out like, oh man, that was such a good movie. I love that movie. It was so good. I love the ending. I loved it. There was nobody that left like that. It was just sadness. There was sadness. There was long faces as people just walked out. And I remember just thinking, we're not to leave this place. We're not to leave the cross with just sorrow. In fact, when you see it with the disciples, they... The cross becomes the source of great joy to them after the resurrection. When they go back to the cross, it's, it's, it's going to the cross and having great joy as they think of the cross. For example, Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world was crucified to me and I to the world. If there's anything, Paul says, that I can boast in, God forbid that I boast in anything but the cross. The source of, of, of what would be to the disciples just incredible pain and weeping and anguish became the same thing that they said, I'm not boasting about anything except for the cross. It tells us in Ephesians 5.2, Walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. A sweet-smelling aroma. Christ was crucified, and it was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. The cross, we love the cross. We have the cross here in our sanctuary and we're thankful for this cross aren't we you look upon the cross and it and it shows us the greatness of God's love that he has displayed for us we picture the cross and we just picture what incredible love our God has for us that he gave us his son that God the son laid down his life for us on that cross displays the love of God for us. We think of the cross and we think we're justified by his blood. 
That's the result of the cross. As a result of the cross, I'm right with God. I've been justified. I've been made righteous through the cross. I'm freed from the law because Christ fulfilled the entirety of the law on our behalf. I've been freed from my sins. I've been saved from the wrath of God through the cross. He became a curse for us on that cross. For us now, there's now no condemnation for us as Christians. We've been made alive together with Christ as a result of the cross. We've been united with Christ as a result of the cross. Death is swallowed up in victory as a result of the cross. The sting of death has been removed for us because of the cross. We're no longer enemies of God because of the cross. We've been reconciled to God through the cross. We've been adopted into his family because of the cross. He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us because of the cross. If at the cross he gave us his son, how much more will he also freely give us all things? And we just look at that and think he gave us everything at the cross. We boast in the cross. God forbid that we boast in anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the cross. There's joy that comes into our hearts as far as we're freed from this bondage. We're freed from this weight of sin that just overtook us and there is nothing that we could have done to get that weight of sin off of us. But because of the cross, we're clothed with robes of righteousness. We're made as white as snow. We're made the bride of Christ. We're brought into the family of God. We get to spend eternity in heaven, not because of our own good deeds, but because of Christ and him crucified because of the cross. And so the disciples went from a place of being in despair and weeping and weeping bitterly because of what had taken place, because of their own sin, because of the Peter denying Christ, because of them being in a place of losing the one that was closest to them, to being in a place of joy, and a joy that could never be taken away from them. I mean, you could take everything from the disciples, even take their life, but in their minds it's, <laughs> but we serve the Lord, we serve Christ and Him crucified, and He died for us, and if, and if, and if we should suffer the same manner that He did, Maybe just worship unto us. May we be thankful for that because he died on the cross. He paid a price that we couldn't pay. Now we get to go forth and proclaim the gospel that, that Jesus lived amongst us and he lived in perfection and he died for us. And not only did he die, but he proved his, his deity and he proved that the price had been paid and the, the payment was received and it was paid in full. The ransom's been paid because he rose again from the dead on the third day and we all saw him. We all bear witness to it. No one could convince us that he did not rise again from the dead. We'll die for that because we know it to be true and there's joy that is within the disciples. They talk about the cross with joy because they know it is because of the cross that they are saved. They're saved. Because of the cross, they've been made right with him. Because of the cross, they've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee till the final day of redemption. Because of the cross, they get to spend all eternity with the Lord. And there's nobody that can take that joy away from them. We could lose everything in this life, brothers and sisters. But we have eternal life. It's why we find it where 
Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man has been renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Whatever it is that we go through in this life is a light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory of being able to spend eternity with him, the joy that we will have for all eternity with him. Jesus says there's no one that can take that joy away. These disciples understood whatever happens to us in this, in this life, we know that all things work together to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Whatever might come our way, they can't take our joy because God's sovereign, God's in control. God allows things to happen, but he works in them for our good and for his glory, and we trust him in it. A view of, of God that brings us to a place of even in the midst of weeping still and tears still and heartache still and light affliction or heavy affliction. It still is light in comparison to what is in store for us and in comparison to the fact that we're no longer dead in our sins and trespasses. We no longer are under the wrath of God. We no longer are in a place where there's condemnation for us. It changes everything for those disciples and it changes everything for us as well. We're told that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be with the Lord. We shall always be with the Lord. We'll always be with him. And then we're told, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus was going to ascend and go to be with the Father. Jesus was sending his Holy Spirit to be the comforter for his people, for us. But he's coming again. We will be with him forever. John, as he's describing heaven, He says, I saw New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and he himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, for there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So not only can the disciples have joy in that he's risen again from the dead, Not only can they have joy in the fact that the Holy Spirit has been given to them to reveal Christ to them, to point them to Christ, to glorify Christ in the most incredible ways. Not only can they have joy because their sins have been removed, but they have joy knowing that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Radical when you look at what God says where he just says, in your presence, in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. And so Jesus is comforting his disciples here. Right now you're going to have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice. There's joy that will come in the morning. 
Right now, you're going to have sorrow, but you will rejoice. Right now, there's heartache. Right now, there's more than what you can handle for me to tell you. But you're going to have sorrow, but it is going to be followed by joy. Your heart will rejoice. And your joy, no one will take from you. Not possible for them to take your joy. It cannot be extinguished. You will have joy. And you'll have joy for all eternity. Jesus is there in the final hours of his life, just loving on those disciples, ministering to those disciples, knowing that they are going to have heartache, knowing that that's going to take place. I know that in this sanctuary, as I said before, there's been heartache. But we can have joy in the resurrected Christ. We can have joy in the one who has been crucified for us. We can look to the cross and have it be constantly a source of joy for us. And we can look ahead to eternity knowing that we will forever be in the joy of the Lord. Comfort one another with those words. Let's pray. Lord God, we're thankful. We're so thankful for the cross. We're thankful for you. We're thankful that you have a heart that not only ministers to the disciples, but you minister to us here this morning. We're not at a place of total loss. We're not at a place where even though the outward man perishes, we know that we will be able to spend eternity with you as those that have been adopted into your family, washed from our sin. May our hearts be overflowing with joy as a result of you and what you've accomplished for us and your faithfulness and your sovereignty and the way in which you minister to bring eternal life to us through faith in you. Through faith in you. We're so thankful that whosoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life. May there be great joy this morning as we think of who you are and what it is that you have done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.